Welcome to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by mid-pack runners. For mid-pack runners, I'm Thane. And I'm Anthony. And in this episode, we're going to talk about when things don't go quite so well in a race and how you can deal with that. So this is Runners on Trail, episode one. So here we are, Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by mid-pack runners. For mid-pack runners. I'm Thane. And I'm Anthony. <laughs> um, and in this episode, we're going to talk about when things go wrong, which you might think is a little bit unusual. But lots of people will talk about races have gone well and we'll hear interviews about people who've won races. And that's great. But for the rest of us who are less elite, we'll have all gone through races where it's not gone quite so well for some reason. And I'm not sure people talk about that enough. And so that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to call this, drum roll please. Trail and error. Uh, I see what you've done there. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so we've done races where it's not gone well. And we're going to talk about a couple of those. We're going to hear from someone who's run with us, who's got an interesting story when his life didn't go quite right and he turned to trail running. And then when things didn't go quite right on the trail, uh, and we're going to talk about general injuries and stuff like that. And I think we're going to start with you, mate, oh. talking about the Brecon Beacons Midnight Marathon no, Runner, no, 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 no. which shall we forever be known as Poogate. <laughs> I think, as you said, it was emotional. Yeah, I, it was emotional for both of us. And also for all those people that had to witness it, let's be brutally honest. So yeah. Brecon Beacons Midnight Marathon, really well run by um, Brutal Events up in Wales and a really clever idea you start at half past five at night and you've got to finish by midnight way which means you're running in the dark and that was quite cool I really yeah you you're it. finishing in the dark aren't you so the main the main difficult section you're kind of doing uh in daylight and dusk. Te- the technical section yeah, 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 yeah definitely it's getting dusk as you're coming down um it's quite nice and a, and a really different idea and you know that's why we do the trail running right because we yeah. like to do things a little bit different on the road Every step is the same on the yeah. trail. Every step is different. And One of my mantras, and and that definitely proves the point. Yeah, do, doing running on roads and stuff. Why would I want to run around somewhere where I drive around? There's no motivation in that. Uh, and it's a, it's not saying that I don't do it in training. You have to. You live in cities and stuff. But getting on the trails and seeing those views and stuff is what it's all about. Yes, and nature. and so. the people running that race got to see more than they bargained yeah. for, didn't they? <laughs> Indeed. So off you go, mate. Yeah, go and. and I guess from the outset, we should say that these issues, the, the, the gastro, the kind of the how you your body is coping with taking on energy and dealing with it and stresses internal in terms of your gastric system, are the biggest reason for people pulling out. So this is this isn't an uncommon thing at all. No, not that we want to put anybody off from trail running, you know. And, and for those of you who are embarking on your sort of early trail running careers, you know, don't worry about this stuff. It happens to everybody. It's or it might not ever happen to you. The bottom line is, as you'll hopefully hear as we go through this, is that these things are short term and you yeah. come out the other side and you learn from them. And there's a way in this case that it could have been avoided, I think, um, if if we've been doing something differently. Which, Which is come on hopefully to. what people will... Yeah, yeah. Be, we, let people learn from our experience so yeah, they yeah. don't have to go through quite what we had to go through during I that race. this is what this is all about, isn't it? Learning from each other's experiences and stuff and sharing yeah. them. So, so yeah, so it was quite a warm day when we started off we were running as a pair we not were. as individuals which yeah. is one of the factors i think that brought it on um we had targeted to come in the top three if um, we could i mean we're mid-pack runners but i'd looked at the times from previous we'd looked at the climb we'd done a big race about six weeks previous that we'd both done quite well in and we were feeling in a really good place yeah. physically and thought do you know what for once, why don't we try and get on a podium? We, we, we kind of thought it was really quite amusing we could end up on a podium because we're not that good. And just just to put that in context, we're talking about, I think there was like 12 pairs. Mm. So while there were 200 people in the event, a lot of them were running solos. And I think there was also a teams as well, yeah. I think. Um, and there was a half marathon as well. So so when we say on the podium, but we are mid-pack runners, that was to get in the top three of 12. In fact, the top 25% would effectively have gone yeah, to yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's what we mean by that. So, so we... It was quite a warm day as it happened, um, although it was quite cool on top and misty. But certainly in the first couple of hours, it was really quite warm. We set off at a pace. Um, I'm I'm not the fastest runner. On an uphill slope. Yeah. A small, and I'm, I'm not as fast as you. And everyone set off charging off. You know, it's a marathon, so you can run it slightly faster. I think when you because it's an ultra, you have to be a lot more 
careful. Certainly we set off a pace and it was obvious to me in the first kind of half an hour, 45 minutes, I was panting quite a lot. I was having to take on a lot of air and oxygen more than I would normally do for doing any kind of trail run or, or ultra. And I think by mile three, it was obvious to me that you were not running as well as you could. Yeah. And um, whilst um, when I run with you on a lot of occasions, you sound occasionally a bit windy. You were definitely quite windy on that day. Yeah, I was I was working hard, you know, effort level. I, I didn't was, mean wind out your mouth, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I was definitely kind of a, a scale of one to five in terms of effort. I was definitely up at the four when really for those kind of races, you, you shouldn't really be up at four anywhere. And really, you should be up at three and stuff or three and a half. But I was definitely I was definitely working hard for four and a half level. Um, and I started to get wind um i started getting gurgling in my lower intestine um which is always a, a, a bad sign and i was if i'd just been by myself no shame i'd have just slowed up i'd have walked for a while and just tried to get a grip of it and just said you know what let's 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 just it's going to be a bit low at the start but that means i'll have a stronger finish and um, there's less than one i guess yeah. even if you're running in a pair you know you both want to do as well as you can you've got to be a good enough friends or at least good enough respect for each other that you can say to each other i need to slow up and the other one's going to let you slow up without ragging you about it yeah yeah and we did i mean you, you were conscious that i was having a bit, a bit of an issue and we did say let's walk a couple of times but we were still trying to chase that kind of objective i think so um yeah we showed up a bit but not necessarily as much as maybe i should have done and we got up onto the fan around starting around the fan dance area which kind of level running for about three four miles five miles no more than that um but yeah it was about mile seven where you had your first um yeah incident. I just, just instantly needed to go to the toilet so um there's nowhere really to hide but there's a few peat bogs and stuff up there so i managed to partially obscure myself and it, it got a bit misty at this stage and that wasn't what was coming out of thing just like <laughs> to point out that was you know just the weather did what was needed to do and then carried on and thought, right, that's it. I, I, I just, you know, needed, needed to go. Yeah. Um, and we ran on and it all seemed all right for about did. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And then doom, doom, doom. All of a sudden I desperately needed the toilet again. And, uh, uh, there was like 20 seconds notice. I, and if that, I think I you said to me, I need to go to the toilet. And I said, okay, let's look for somewhere. Oh, I see. You mean you need to go right now? <laughs> And a very small minor depression. I think I just um, sat, lied down in. Uh, it was, it was, it was emotional. And and, and this occasion, this was, this was the everything out um, session, really. Yeah. And um, for those of you who've ever been with someone with long hair being sick, and you've held the hair out their face while they're being sick, this was the trail running equivalent. <laughs> as I tried to sort of block Thane from the view of the people running past him with diarrhea running everywhere as he completely evacuated himself not pleasant you would have wanted to be there i never ever want to be there again it was absolutely horrendous but there you go and so having used his own toilet paper for the first time he went possibly he should have been a little bit more um, efficient about what he'd used he then (laughs) used all of my toilet paper that i carried with me lesson number two everybody carry toilet paper and an extra bit for your friend um he used all of mine for his second wipe (laughs) But being part of a team, you then collected sheep's wool. Yeah, so, and then we started off again. At this point, I realised, and I think Thane realised, that this probably wasn't going to go away quickly. And we started running. So I started to collect sheep's wool because we'd now run out of toilet paper that he possibly could use if he needed to go again. Good planning. But at that point, you reined back. I think you realised you just couldn't keep pressing on. when, when, When you have, when you're... Yeah, anyone knows. Everyone's had diarrhea, or that it was it was wasn't that it was diarrhea, but it was it was something of that nature. It drains you. It takes your energy out of your system. You, you you're wanting to take energy in, not lose it all from your system. So you do start to feel a bit pale, um, a bit whitewashed, as it were. Uh, I wanted to take fuel on, but but with everything else coming out, so it was almost like the last thing you want to do is is, is actually take uh, take things into your stomach. So anyway, we just we just got on with it as best we could. Um, probably come back to the motivation later, maybe. Yeah, but... I mean, so we could look at why you were having the issues you were having. Was it because we run out too hard? Could it have been something else? I mean, I mm. think you were fueling okay. We'd had we'd had decent amount to eat before we'd yeah, run. Yeah. There was nothing unusual in anything in that. I don't think you'd eaten anything unusual before yeah. you'd done the race, and we were both drinking okay. Interestingly, I've heard from several people since that 
failure to hydrate yourself adequately can actually result in your body developing diarrhea. As weird as that sounds, you would think mm. it was the other way around. But actually yeah. lack of hydration can cause, not or dehydration th- can cause diarrhea. Yeah, not that I think that was the reason. I think, although we never quite nailed, hit the nail on the head with working out why it happened, general experience and, and stuff and listening to other podcasts and other people would be that really going out too hard and fast quite often brings these things on. Yeah. And, um, I, think and I think that, that was, we were, for me, on that particular day, in that instance, I was going too hard, too fast. We were trying, you know, we had some kind of objectives we were looking at and wasn't listening enough to my body. Or we'd sacrificed a little bit of listening to my body in order to make good time and progress. You sacrificed a lot more than that. You sacrificed your lunch. <laughs> um, and, but it's interesting that when you look at that, so we'd run Transvulcania uh, about six weeks before that. And if you looked at our pace for the first four hours of Transvulcania, we ran identical pace mm. to, to each other. Yeah, yeah. So, and you didn't get sick. No. I ran what I thought was a fairly decent pace. I certainly wasn't going easy mm. as such for that first four hours. And yet on this day, mm. the race pace that I thought was appropriate and that was appropriate for me, I was absolutely fine at that pace, wasn't right for you. So I think that's, you know, less, the next lesson is that on any one day, it's going to be different yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you've got to be receptive to listening to your body. I think that's a lot. That's a lot of the aspects of trail running and ultra running and stuff is listening to your body. I think any sort of distance running, anyone, you can go out and run a mile. And if if on a bad day and a good yeah, day, and you'll true. and you'll probably be able to smash that mile out, even on a bad day, at a fairly good pace. You'll feel rubbish afterwards, but you can probably mm. sustain it for that mile. As soon as you start doing some bigger distances, and especially when you've got the the mental bit of a much longer distance to actually do as well, mm. it becomes a lot more difficult, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you need to, you know in these longer events that you need to be taking energy and fuel on. There's no way you can get to the end if you're not taking energy on. Which then gets us, yeah, into the motivation bit because I could then tell after the after the second episode of Brewgate <laughs> um, that you were you'd stopped drinking, you'd stopped eating, and you'd slowed right down, mm. and it was how do I now try and motivate you? And I think what we've discussed since is that before we do next run together as a pair over a distance, we need to talk to each other before the race to say, if it's not going right for me, mentally, this is what works to motivate me. Yeah. And it's what you need to do. And you hear about the bigger, even the elites doing, talking about with their paces for big races like Western States is making sure that their paces know when it goes wrong for them, how to keep them motivated. And conversely, how not to demotivate them, mm. which is possibly what I ended up doing to you on the day, thinking I was trying to mo- motivate you in the right way, not not getting it right. Yeah, yeah. It Things like, come on, <laughs> run harder, man up. You know? Definitely took the drill sergeant approach to yeah. motivation. Yeah. Um, that if I'd been feeling fine, might have worked. But bearing in mind, I was now very energy depleted, compared to you I was going to be slower and that just it, I wouldn't say it demotivated me but it you know the the the, the, the pure silence coming back probably spoke volumes I think I wasn't. Yeah, the, the, the if looks could kill <laughs> uh, certainly I wasn't motivating you no 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 I, I wasn't helping put it that way no 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 and I tried a variety of things but I think there is a point of course where ultimately there was nothing I could do yeah there was nothing I could say to make you go quicker no I guess quite often I go, I guess I go into myself at those points and it's just a case of, I don't want to talk. I, don't, I just, I just need to get half an hour, an hour, get through that period, start to get some confidence back that I'm, I'm pulling it together and there's some energy. I mean, I don't think I'd stopped hydrating, but I certainly stopped taking on energy. Uh, you told me you stopped food. eating. So yeah, I I'd spotted I, that. And you, you never drink as much as I do anyway. So. No, no, that's true. But I think, I think I was still taking on some, I was just taking on water and stuff, but it did come back. And it did. And to be fair, the one thing that did seem to motivate you at that time was when I turned around and, and I looked at my watch and thought, because we couldn't see the top of the mountain because it was really misty. Yeah. I, we knew roughly how far, well, we knew how far we'd gone. We got GPS. We thought that we knew how far we'd gone. But I was starting to get concerned without knowing what the rest of the terrain was like. Yeah. yeah. Whether we'd actually make the cutoff for the half, the halfway cutoff. Yeah. Um, and I said that to you. And to be fair, you, I, I literally saw you grit your teeth and start to try and pick your legs up yeah, a bit I did. more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that thought of proper failure at that point motivated you to try and achieve more. 
when I started having issues in my head, that kind of top three objective just went out the window. There was there was no way. Well, it might have happened, but I, and I think I'd already realised that had gone it as was well. More. And to be fair, you did say Are you all right to continue because I did feel a bit nauseous um, for a few minutes, but that that passed quite quickly. But it was about it was about then how do you recover and how do you you know how do you bring it back and how do you make sure you still have a positive experience, which I think ultimately it was. And we'll talk later on in the episode about do not finishing and there being no really not being any shame in that. But at the same time, in a long distance race, most of us at some point in nearly every race are going to have some moments that are lower than others. Yeah, yeah. And then we both, for example, and as we'll go into it in more depth in another episode with Transvolcania, because that's a big couple of stories in itself. But there was a moment in there and that we weren't running as a pair. Um, but there were almost at the same point on the course, we both felt really low. Yeah. Um, you were about 20 minutes ahead of me. Um, and we obviously we talked about it at the end, but yeah, there was a lot of people, I think, and a few people off the side of the trail just with heat and fatigue and the amount of climbing you've done to get to that point. It's just like, oh, come on, I just need to check out a second here. Let's just gather myself together. And sometimes just taking those five, 10 minutes and the pros do it. You know, Jim Wormsley at uh, UTMB last weekend saying, look, I need half an hour. Came fifth, you know, uh, did re- did really well by gritting it out. But he had to take time out. Um, Sage Canada as well had to you know take big time sections out and stuff. It's just gathering yourself and pulling yourself together. And, yeah. You know, that and happens. Th- and there's maybe a, a lesson to learn for everyone. You know, Wormsley's had two big failures. Or two, um, yeah, two big in, DNFs. In, in and... Two big DNFs. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I haven't spoken to him about it, clearly. You know, despite the fact clearly me and him are on, you know, best mates. <laughs> um, not. That he, I think, ran a much more sensible UTMB. You can't odds blisters necessarily, but he ran a much more sensible UTMB. He did go out hard, but not as ridiculously hard as he has done other races. And you can tell that by the fact that other racers were running with him and you know people don't <laughs> tend to try and hang with him normally because they just think they'll catch him up later or he'll blow up yeah uh, but he did run with other races this time and ultimately ran a much more sensible race and has probably proved now that he can run the 100 mile properly mm. um, he can certainly run the shorter races everyone knows that and that was good and i think you know th- there's that bit again he'd learned from those dnfs mm. you can learn from all of them but again getting back to gastrointestinal all those other things, you know, why do they happen? We've talked about pace. It definitely can be nutrition, but I'm not sure. That it wasn't that case. In yeah. your case, it wasn't, but I think so for some people it is. And it's about, that's just about learning what works for you when you're running and when you're not. I'm not sure it makes a huge effect. We all eat, we all eat a huge variety of foods in our normal lives and they, they don't end up affecting us in that way. So why should they affect a wide variety of foods affect us like that when we run? I, I'm not sure it is, but certainly it's about your body being used to running with what you're eating when you're running yeah. so if you're going to use gels and things like that we don't eat those normally so you need to train with them regularly for your body to be used to running with them and using them it's getting that balance and i think even the same plan for the same person doesn't work necessarily in different weather conditions no. um, you've got blood needs to go to your muscles but you need the blood in the stomach to digest stuff you, you know and there's combinations of water or energy fluid you know um drinks energy drinks or there's the gels or there's more natural food that you might want or there's salty potatoes and all the other bits and pieces that there's a lot and everyone you know i think everybody to a certain degree is still finessing their fueling strategies because um, you have to take energy on I, i'm not I'm, i don't finesse anything at all you know i don't so my my strategy is to get to an a station and cram as much food into my face as i can um uh, and i'll eat everything there is at an aid station i'll, I'll try anything um then later on in the race, as you said, as the blood sort of drains away from my stomach as my muscles are using it more, I switch to a more gel-based, liquid-based diet. You've traditionally and historically been much more scientific about your approach than I have. I've read a couple of books about it and stuff, and I tend to, I, I go in with a plan. I, I, I work, you know, which I know we both do. I had a, I had a, I had a plan of where I was going to take energy on. In training for Transvolcania, that worked well. In the actual race, it kind of half worked. But but I do, when I get to aid stations, quite often, more often than not, I suddenly have a craving for something. And more often than not, it's orange segments. And I just chew my way through loads of those. I don't know why. Well, but it's just, but I think there's a little bit of listening to your body. Absolutely. You've you got to listen to your body. You look at what's at the aid station and you think, I really want 
that yeah. thing then eat and it. Then, then, then just eat it. If your body's, exactly, you just need to take on energy. So if your body's willing to eat peanuts, eat peanuts. If it's willing to eat malt loaf, eat malt yeah. loaf. I know you'll never eat malt loaf. But not that there's energy in orange segments, but there's obviously something in there that I needed. Yeah. Citric acid, I don't know, exactly. whatever it was. Um, so I have stuff and then I listen a bit to my body. But. So there you go. We've, we've talked about gastrointestinal issues, talked about your race up on the Brecon Beacons and motivation and how difficult it can be to motivate people and get them going. I guess what happened then was we slowed down, we got to the top of the penny fan and we started to run down within the time limit clearly and life was easier yeah. in terms of on your body and we settled into a rhythm and it probably yes. only took ultimately about an hour from the beginning of it to the end of it all going horribly wrong. Probably two. Maybe? Yeah, I think so. But we started running down and we settled into a rhythm and it was almost like there were two halves of the race and the second half started at the top and you almost started from being fresh Certainly at the top. Certainly, I think it comes down quite steeply from the top and then it kind of levels out and it's a very steady kind of couple of degrees down for quite some time. And we just set up a rhythm and a pace and kind of gritted, well, you know, we're both gritting our teeth. You teeth gritted your teeth a bit. And then just kept going. And as the miles ticked by and things weren't getting better, they were getting slight, you know, they weren't getting so worse, they were getting slightly better. You get a bit more confidence and then the rhythm continued. And, and we ran a bit harder and then you had <clears throat> one more issue, um, if you remember, on, after we'd come on on the way down. Oh, yeah, there was there was the third Yeah, stop. there was the third stop. Yeah, you need to go. And, of course, at that point, he used his toilet paper, he used my toilet paper, and we were about to deploy the rather dirty wool that I'd been collecting for him when, and I don't know who the guy was, a Thank really you. nice troll runner <laughs> coming past, um, gave us his toilet paper, which was, uh, yeah, nice for Thane, definitely better than rough sheeps were on his backside but after that you'd effectively emptied yourself and we jogged on and, and did all right and as i said it was getting back into that pace and your body finally settling down and then it was almost like we'd started running from scratch again yeah yeah um and the pace was good and we ran a good race and actually only f- finished in the end 14 minutes behind second place so it, uh, came in sixth but it just shows you probably mid pack shows you yeah. <laughs> runners on trail the trail running podcast by mid pack runners for mid pack runners there you go we finished in sixth and that was fine but ultimately it wasn't ever really about the placing it's about getting out there and it having is. a good time it is and uh it was nice to see you you were quite happy when we'd finished yeah we, we, we'd we run that his last what two hours consistently it was it was still a grind but it was just gradually downhill but you know, not 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 so much that you're kind of freewheeling, but you still still it gives you a little bit, I guess. And we just kept going; we just didn't stop. Um, no. There was one aid station which we stopped at, and we took on. I started drinking some Coke, flat Coke, and some other bits which I wouldn't. I normally tend to avoid, but I needed some quick energy type thing to put in my system, and a fluid version seemed better than than the other options around. I had a couple of jelly babies, I think. So not very much. I didn't feel I could take on a lot. But then just kind of head down. It, 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 now it was dark, wasn't it? We had our headlights on and stuff and no one overtook us. I think we overtook a couple of teams. It was nice. And we just kind of just, yeah, freewheeled, well, I'd say freewheeled, grounded out um, to the finish. But of course, interestingly, there's that motivational straight confidence building bit is if you're running and you're running past a few people, whilst trail running most of the time doesn't feel like a competition to me and I don't think it does no, to you yeah, either. No. If you're running past people, it makes you feel that you're running quite well. And that in itself then yeah, yeah. motivates you to run well. It's, yeah, yeah. It becomes cyclical. It, it's kind of not the fact that you're passing somebody that motivates you. It's the fact that, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not going as slowly as I thought. And yeah. that gives you, gives you confidence. You were passing a lot more than that, my dear friend. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that was you in the Brecon Beacons. And, uh, that was to do with not illness or anything else. That was just to do with, Possibly not running it right or something not being right. You yeah, can't yeah. Going it down. Out, probably going out too fast. But then five weeks ago now, I ran the Mendit Marauder 50 miler. Lovely run from Froome to Western Supermare, run by Albion Running. Uh, the guy that Dave that runs Albion Running is a lovely bloke. You can read his story online. Great story about how he got into trail running. And he's written a book about it. Uh, really worth a read. And so I ran the race. I, mean, it was to, I did it to qualify for the Thames Path 100 next year. And I'd been ill beforehand with a cough, basically. Clearly just minor weakness on my part, I'm sure. That's what some of my friends would say. <laughs> um, but 
Uh, I got better about a week before and thought, well, I can do the run. It will be fine. But it clearly wasn't. And Thane was at the 20 mile mark. He'd come out to give me a bit of encouragement and run with me for a bit. Well, you, and you can describe how I looked when I got to 20 miles out of 50. You looked fatigued. I think at the 20 mile point, you'd give me an ETA, but you were 45 minutes south of that. I yeah. mean, everybody was, I mean, the, 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 the pack was slower coming through because I was talking to some people at the aid station and it was slightly slower than the previous year, but it was a bit wet and dank and stuff and, um, slightly muddy underfoot. But nevertheless, you were further back than you intended to be. Um, we run a lot of weekends together. We tend to do like a 20 mile run on like a Saturday morning and stuff. Um, not necessarily sometimes on road, but quite often through the parks in um, Bristol and stuff. And yeah, you, you looked tired. You looked like you'd probably done like 35 miles, not 20. And do you know what? That's how it felt. Yeah. I think, you know, as you say, we, we go out and regularly run 20, 25 miles and in training and I've had run a pace that I thought was sensible for a 50 miler rather than for 25 miles so I'd, I'd been thinking about running slowly and I still felt really tired it did cross my mind whether you were going to finish or not um, and there you go and you know as I said we started running after together from that 20 mile point and I was running with two other guys a guy called Paul and a guy came Pete and we'd been running about the same pace together, but it became clear at that point that Paul clearly had a lot more energy. And you were running with him, and he clearly had a lot more energy than me and Paul yeah, yeah, had, yeah. I think. Yeah, when he was running at the 20-mile point, the same that I was just starting afresh. So he was, you know... Yeah, and it, you know, he clearly had more energy and pace, and I turned around to him and said, I don't think I can keep up with you anymore. And to be fair, he said, well, stop and take a rest, or stop and take a rest with you. Yeah. And I think... I can understand why he did that because I think we find, you know, when you run together, if I go out and train on my own, I always find it a lot harder than when I'm training with you. Yeah, yeah. I love you, man. I know. <laughs> um, it makes life a lot easier to be running with somebody. And I think even if you think you're, they're running slower than you would normally run, chances are overall you'll run quicker because if you run on your own, you become fatigued more quickly. You don't get to talk You have to highs and lows at different points and sometimes just talking to somebody. Yeah. I was a brilliant bit on Transvolcania where I was running on the downhill section and um, there isn't so many Brits that run it. It's a very heavily, you know, it's, it's a Spanish um, um, race on the, in the Canaries. And so there's lots of uh, Spanish runners. So, but there was a, there was a Brit running down and um, Jace, uh, Jason and um, follow him on, follow each other on Strava now. Brilliant guy. And we just struck up conversation. He was behind me at one point. Then I think I was behind him. We, we, it's like weird because we didn't, because it was like single track pretty much and very technical. I don't think either of us knew what, what each other looked like he knew what my what my backside looked like and i i could hear him but it was only like when we got to an a station like an hour later but, oh hello <laughs> yeah exactly. we were just you know swapping life stories and all the rest of it but i tell you what that hour just flew by and you know and that, that's probably one of the you know the kind of reason why sometimes it's good on trail runs to run with people because you're talking and it just eats up some of the time yeah and getting back to the bit that we talked about with you Brecon beacons you being pushed and being hot feeling tired mm. it got to the point where i was trying to run after paul and i was really finding it difficult and i knew i was slowing him down which so that mentally makes you feel bad because you yeah. realize that you're let feel like you're letting somebody down mm. um and we got to the 25 mile aid station he was clearly in the mood to get in and get out i clearly wasn't in the mood to get in and out and i don't think pete was either but he stayed with us and then we started running after that and there's a very long uphill run and he started building a big, big, big distance and eventually got to the top of the hill and he was lovely. He turned around and get, sort of gave me a bit of a wave and went. And by the time I got to the top of the hill, I couldn't even see him anymore. And it really was the right thing to do for him was to yeah. leave us. And I think actually the right thing for us, because ultimately then Pete and I slowed down a bit, didn't feel we had to push on so hard. And whilst it took us half an hour, three quarters of an hour to recover, we then settled into a much more comfortable, better rhythm that we knew we could sustain to the end of the race. Yeah. And mentally, we were in a much better place because we didn't feel we were letting somebody down. Yeah, yeah. And that really worked for us. And, it's, and there's the bit there from pushing on versus resting. Yeah. When to carry on and when to stop. And what I would say in a ultra distance race or even in a, just a long distance race is listen to your body and act early. Yeah. You know, if we acted a little bit earlier in, 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 yeah, the, yeah. in the Brecon Beacons, if you'd said to me, we've got to slow down. Yeah. Got to slow down early. Or if we just even set off at a better pace, none of that probably would happen ultimately we probably would have finished quicker yeah and i think knowing that now 
and having gone through that experience, if the same thing was to happen, you'd be more willing to slow down as absolutely as well. Yes. Whereas at that time we were, you know, very right. This is the objective. Right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this, and we probably wouldn't have been as receptive then as we would be now, having no, had that experience. Probably, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. And so Paul had gone, and Pete and I settled into a better rhythm, and I got chatting to him, and that's probably a good time to have a listen to his story about both how he got into running ultras, but also his experiences of things that haven't gone quite right and the motivation that we get from them. Runners on trail. A year and a half ago, I took the um, BP British record in powerlifting for the 100 kilo class. Um, I had zero fitness. Every time I bent down to tie my shoes, my head felt like it was going to explode. My blood pressure was, I think, about 160 over 110. Um, and I got home from the powerlifting meet. I went upstairs to brush my teeth before going to bed and my nose started bleeding and it would not stop. And it was at that point I thought, I had to try and get fit because this is killing me being this body weight. I ended up going up to about 19 stone in the end. Um, so what are you currently? Uh, so I'm currently 100 kilos. So yeah, whatever that is in stone, about 16 stone, um, but fairly lean. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I started training to run, and my first half marathon was last August. For those who can't see Pete, clearly none of you can, um, he's what you might think of as a triangle. He's uh, very broad <laughs> on top, but he's got quite a narrow waist. <laughs> well, yeah, so I, um, I entered for the Cheddar Gorge half marathon, and I thought I trained pretty hard for it. And, uh... Just going through a gate. Oh, yeah. Markings are definitely better this half. Oh, uh, sure are, because they're awesome. And uh, yeah, I, I went in for the marathon. I thought I was doing pretty well. I had no water, no electrolytes, no food. And I got to mile 10. And my body basically just stopped working. I started cramping. Things started spasming. And I made it to the finish line in, I think it was nearly three hours. And I crawled across the line. And my wife was waiting for me. And I was so embarrassed at how badly I'd done uh, that I swore I'd never do that again. So I picked up my training even more, sorted my diet out, and uh, yeah, fast forward to the next long race I did, which was 28 miles, which was the Giants Head Marathon, or 27.3, and uh, much better, came flying across the finish line, big smile on the face, and after that I entered for this 50 miler, and uh, and here we are. And here we are, the sun's out. On a beautiful day. It is beautiful. You see the water, the hills. Beautiful day yeah. on our way into I don't know, somewhere fairly large, some fairly large conurbation, whatever it is. Absolutely. Um, I'm feeling pretty good at this point as well. Yep, certainly too. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how we feel in another 10k. Yeah. Runners on trail. So there you go. So that's Pete's story. And, you know, the Mendip Marauder is a great race, as I said. It's marked out when you run it, but there were some idiots clearly around who decided to move some of the road markings, uh, some of the route markings which, as you heard, we were talking about how well route-marked it was. That was nothing to do with Dave, the race organiser, who organised a brilliant race. It was to do with idiots moving the route markings. All the things we talked about today, I think you could see a little bit of those in that. I mean, interestingly, power lifter and trail runner, they really don't... You wouldn't think they'd go together. <laughs> but interestingly, there's a bloke who does sports massage for me who does exactly the same thing. So it clearly isn't that unique. But oh, at the it. same time... So many backgrounds and stuff that people have. And to be fair, hauling 16 stone around 50 miles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fair play. I mean, that must just fair be horrendous. Sense. You look at, you look at the, you know, UTMB say was last weekend. You look at the, the finish line. This is one of the things. If you look at the people who win marathons and stuff, you see similar height, build structures and stuff. There's certain body types that are honed to winning those. If you look at like the, there's a photograph at the end of the top 10 finishers and stuff like that in a line. You've got some really tall people, some short people, some kind of power pack people, some people who are really lean. It's really difficult to look at a trail runner, look at anybody and go, you're a trail runner, you're not a trail runner, or you're an elite, you're not an elite. There's so many different shapes and stuff. That's one of the things I love about the sport. But anyway, no, I agree. it's so hard to tell who's good and who isn't and stuff. And it doesn't really matter, but, but it, you know, it, there's, a, there's a lot of things that come into it. It's not just about being lean, thin and all the rest of it. Um yeah. I agree. And I think the other great thing about trail running is because every race is so different, it's very difficult to stand at the start line and say, 
my aim today is four hours or my aim today is five hours. And so the beauty of that is that you can then just go out and run your race. Yeah. As, yeah. You know, I, I often stand on the start line and say to you, be the best you can be today. And that's all you ever can be. And without having to chase a time because the courses are so different and so it's impossible to match race A with race B, you're able to do that and just enjoy the race. Mm. I think a little bit more than I, I personally am when I'm running a half marathon on the road, when I feel obliged to try and push for a PB or push yeah. for a good time. I don't feel that way on the trail and I enjoy it a lot more for not having that pressure. Yeah. I mean, I think you're a bit more goal orientated than me, certainly in a timing perspective. So I've got a race coming up in two weekends time. And I, I know at the moment I'm thinking, okay, I need to do it in this length of time. I'm worried about not finishing in time. Uh, and so, so just completing it, it's a hundred and which puts pressure on itself. It puts pressure on itself. But the background motivation for me is always the journey, the experience of it, which I'm probably, probably. And I think I'm becoming more like that. And so I've already discussed with my wife, Thames Path next year. Interestingly, they set a goal for you by giving different medals yeah. for finishing in certain times. So they almost set a little bit of pressure on you to try and finish under 24 hours. Yeah. Rather than finishing in over twenty four hours, and I think that, but that is my that will be a motivation for me. Yeah. But I'm not motivated to finish in twenty two or twenty hours. Yeah. So, is it, is it with, just just a, a a one minute segue here into the the motivation? So we 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 did Transvolcania, which we'll cover Transvolcania, sorry, which we'll cover in another episode, perhaps because there's quite a few stories in that in itself. Yeah. But the next kind of a race goal the next big objective we've set ourselves is western states well to try and get into western yeah, states yeah which might take like 10 years because it's you know you have to go through a ballot system and other things but working back from that to get into western to even get into the ballot for western states we have to have done one of the qualifiers and there's only i think there's think there's five in the uk six yeah. Um, I think it's one in Scotland, one in Wales, and three in, the, three in, in England, England, I think. I think. Yeah. Um, we've targeted the Ten Path 100, which is May next year. Correct. But to get entry into that, we need to have done at least a 50 miler in a certain limit or a longer distance within the final cutoff time. Correct. And that's why you did the Mendip Marauder. That's why I did Mendip Marauder. I wasn't feeling quite up to it. So you did that one and... I've selected to do the Cotswolds Way Century, which is 102 miles. Yeah, I mean, which why, is, why, why would you possibly pick, you know, an easy 50-miler qualifier when you could pick a rock-hard 100-miler to try and qualify? But, I, mean, yeah, I think it all comes down to... <laughs> <laughs> but it comes down to the motivation. It, it, it's, I'm a strongly read a number of books, and I'll have to quote it later, but um, it's all about motivation and reasons why. And these races are often tough. And if you haven't got... If you're not mentally connected to why you want to do that race, if you've not got some passion in it, then the 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 the, the, the kind of easy way out just springs out. It's like, oh, I never wanted to do this anyway, and you just pull out. If you've got if you've got a motivation like we did on Transvolcania, where it's like, no, we've invested so much time, emotional, we'd analysed it to death, and we'll go, you know, you know, we'll cover that off another time. Yeah, but. We, were, we we knew every inch of that trail. We'd looked at it on Google Earth. We'd got all the splits. We'd analysed it in previous years. We, you know, we, we there's no way we weren't going to finish that unless there was some mechanical or catastrophic issue. But um, and that, but that's why I've chosen Cotswold Century because it's something I've looked at for a number of years. And and after I finished the, I mean, me and James, don't even talk about it. We did the South Downs Way unsupported about nine years, eight year, nine years ago. Be, that was the next one we looked at doing and it's nearby to where we live in Bristol kind of thing. So it's a race I want to do, which is why I've done that one. Which is motivation in itself, maybe. Yeah. Getting back to what Pete was saying about his, you know, hydration, nutrition in his first half marathon and then subsequent ones. I think it shows two things. One is the importance of getting those right. But also he took the motivation of failure or what he saw as failure mm. in that first race and used that to make him better for his next races, to refine his training. He learned from those things. And I think that's the big thing about a do not finish or or having a bad race is mm. take it, try and take the positives from it. So, for example, you did the Felsman race or started to do the Felsman race to potentially qualify for Transvolcania 17 and did not finish. And 
maybe another episode is the time to go in and talk about why that didn't work for you. But ultimately, you DNF'd. But if you had finished the race, how much more would you have got from it from finishing? But also, that failure that you did in the race, or do not finish anyway, still gave you a huge amount of positives and learning experiences to yeah. take forwards. Fueling strategy, training, mechanical issues. I mean, Footwear. Ultimately, cutting long story short, I, I pulled out because um, it's really uneven ground for the race. And it was your hardy Felsman type walker runner could, could handle it. But me, I, I couldn't. And my knees were just totally shot. And you group together at the, through the night because the navigation's a bit tricky for safety reasons. And I was very obviously starting to hold everyone else back and therefore with 12 miles done 50 miles but the following 12 miles i just thought it was unfair to commit myself to do something which might have very negatively impacted five other five six other people so anyway but you know and okay so you were generally weak um (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna do that race someday there you go that's maybe yeah to do that you but you but you ended up with cold weather injuries on your feet you uh, and clearly were fairly fatigued from it. If you'd carried on, you'd have probably ended up with even worse cold weather injuries on your feet. Um, you probably could have been so badly exhausted, you couldn't have then done a proper, qual- not finished within the time, maybe, or might, might not have been accepted for Transalkano because they're a little bit loose in what they'll accept. Mm. And so you did the right thing to pull out and ultimately use those experiences going forward to make you a better runner. And so I think this is the point is that do not finishing isn't always a failure it depends what you're trying to achieve from a race if it's an a race and it's what you train for your whole year to finish that race clearly you might push yourself on to complete it but if it's not an a race and you're using it as training or something like that then if you've got enough out of the race to have got what you needed from it you don't necessarily need to finish it yeah and all of the best runners near enough all of them i think have DNF. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, at the elite level, this is not an unusual I thing. I don't like doing it. I don't want to do it. But there is, you sometimes have to get to that point where you have to. I mean, I, I, it, for me, in Cotswold Century, two weekends time, I will do everything I can to get to that finish because I've got no other big race this year. Then our next big A race is... Thames Valley Path. Thames Path Valley. Thames Valley Path. So, yeah. Toe Path 100. Sorry, God. Thames Path 100. Yeah, yeah is it? Oh, yeah. Right, okay. Um, in May next year, I will give it my all to get to the finish line. If it doesn't work, then I'll have to do another qualifier for that. But um, but anyway, that's a secondary problem. So there is a point where I might stop and put it out. But but I will do what I can to get to the end. Transvolcania this year was our A race. So, you know, I think we would have only pulled out if it was a last resort. Next year, clearly our A race is 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 the is the one the Thames past one hundred yeah and hopefully you never know if we get through the ballot <laughs> next year Western we'll see, we'll see. but Unlikely. anyway that might be twenty twenty five by the time we get into that one so we've talked about as you dub them internal issues whether it's gastrointestinal or someone being ill but clearly there are other things that can go on a race and external issues for the better thing yeah external as in external body so so. The, the, the things that are more mechanical in failure, so your blisters, your your, your muscles, it's, it's things that which are kind of more matter of fact rather than having to do some diagnosis. You know, with your stomach, it's like, well, what's going on? Whereas if if you if you've got blisters, you've got blisters, you can see the blisters. If yeah. you've got some pain in your leg, I've got a pain in my leg. I know what the issue is. That's not, you know. And I think our simple answer to those things is treat them early. Yeah, don't run on them for long. If you feel you've got a blister coming on. We're going to say, make sure you carry blister plasters or some sort of blister treatment with you. Get it onto your foot early. Stop it early and crack on. Yeah. And, you know, I carry a spare pair of socks with me because I find it sometimes socks don't work as well. If they get wet, I want to change them. And I finished the Mendit Marauder in odd socks, which I felt was slightly weird. But as Pete put it to me, mate, it's a 50 miler, not a fashion show, (laughs) which I thought was a great thing to say. And you carry nail clippers. I carry a small pair of lightweight nail clippers. Um, there is nothing worse than than having an issue which is simple as a toenail. The toenail cut clippers could sort out, and you you can't get them on the trail, and then you just have to live with it for hours. With I've had one bit where we've had a, a nail on the side of one toe suddenly digging into 
the flesh on the neighbouring toe. And then you think, oh, if, if only I could cut that off. But doing it on a toenail, you can't just pick at it very easily and get it off. So I carry a small pair of lightweight nail clippers in order to be addressed with those issues. And interestingly, like, for example, Stephen Cousins film my run. If you don't um, get a chance, if you get a chance, you must watch his videos. They're brilliant. Um, and his Transvolcania 2016 video yeah. is, is legendary. Um, <laughs> and if you want to see suffering in a race, but ultimately someone pushing on and getting to the finish. Yeah. It, it's it's right up there with the best of the best. Oh, absolutely. It's an amazing video. Um, and if he'd had a... He would have killed for a set of nail, nail clippers. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I do. And he, he had toenails bashing into the end of his shoes. And he was like, I knew I needed to cut my... And yeah, here I am. So oh, I can look at your... your you, that you people who are listening clearly can't see Thane's toes, but his big toe on his left foot, the nail is absolutely horrendous. I mean, I've got toenails missing. I think most trail runners... Who do ultra distance end up with toen- well, I've got two no, toenails missing? Still got two black ones, and one of them goes back a year. The other one came off the other day. The other, yeah, but it doesn't. People say, "Oh, that's horrible," but okay, they, fall off, they don't hurt. But it doesn't hurt. No. Um, it doesn't hurt. It's not an issue. And I think I don't think I saw a press conference one, and they had all the like top ten favorite runners for I can't remember which race it was, and they said to him. So who's who's got a black toenail at the moment? And all of them stuck their hand up. You know, it's just it just comes with the territory. Yeah, um, but it's not it's not a big issue. So blisters deal with them early. If you fall and turn on an ankle, I think you've just got to make a decision whether can you carry yeah. on, should you carry on. So I always carry the nail clippers. I also always carry some magnesium tape in order to do a quick taping up job. I rolled my ankle five months ago, running in the training in the Mulvans. Two, it was two months before Transvolcania, which put a question mark over that whole race, but. It's amazing what some bit of tape and a little bit of physio did. Um, so I always carry a bit of that. And if it's a now at the moment, I'm still taping up before trail runs in order that just mechanically stop another rolling happen. Um, and that might be just mental as much as it is physical. Yeah, yeah. But if it works for you, it yeah, works for yeah. you. It's back into that put motivational a, piece. Put a stirrup strap on it. And then um, I know that ultimately I won't roll that ankle or shouldn't do far less likely to in a race. And I have Vaseline. Yeah, so I've got a number of little things that I'll, it's like, there's a set of things, you've got to carry a mandatory list of things with you anyway, but there's always a few things that individually people take with them because it gives you that comfort that if these issues have affected you in the past, you can deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. There's muscle fatigue on external, um, knees, other bits and pieces. Um, and I think, you know, how do you, it's a lot tougher to deal with those if, if, if they hit you in a race, you know, what can you do? I think the one thing we've learned when we've run together is changing your gait, changing your style, mm, yeah. mixing it up a bit. Yeah. Um, certainly running the downhills in Transcania, I found changing the, my, my running styles went down the hill between short bouncy steps and long steps. If I did either one for too long a time, I'd start to get some bit of my body aching. And so I just mix it up a bit yeah. and find it just give different muscles a rest. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true when you're running. If you, you can shorten your stride because it, your legs are getting tired, but then you, I tend to find that I get tightness in certain muscle groups and I have to lengthen my stride out again. Yeah. And sometimes it can hurt for the first kind of five, 10 minutes when you change your gait. Uh, cause you're like, Oh, I'm having to stretch muscles that don't want to stretch. But then another 10 minutes later, you feel so much better than you did. Yeah. All of the things that we've talked about, what it brings home to me is from the races we've done is they are relatively short term things sometimes and, and quite a lot of the time, you know, every, we always go through bad points in races. Most of us, there'll be low points rather as well as high points. Yeah. And it's accepting that they're going to happen and knowing how you deal with them. You yeah. know, I know, I've heard of runners who relish the pain because it means that they're running well and they know that they're running well. And so they can turn that negative of feeling in pain into a positive of knowing yeah. they're doing really well. That works for some, it won't work for other people. But I think if you learn how to cope with what's going wrong and how to mitigate it and get rid of it and understanding and believing that you will come out the other mm. side is motivation in itself. I can't remember who the runner was, but you said the story about a runner who knows the monsters are the, gonna yeah she, I, I forget what it is um but she calls it the beast and she welcomes the beast arriving yeah which is when she feels bad because that means she's running a really good race yeah it's so, like muhammad yeah. ali isn't it how many how many press-ups can you do it says i don't know because i only start counting when they hurt you know it's that kind of approach isn't it, it you're gonna get there so it's whether it's 20 30 40 50 miles 
no, no one finishes a long or a hard ultra race, a trail marathon, whatever it is, without hurting. And it's the same even for a half marathon and stuff. If you, you know, you're not comfortable doing them, it's going to happen. So just welcome it, embrace it. A couple of days later, that pain's gone. You've got the, the long-term the glory the lasts glory, forever. The, <laughs> you know, the memories of it yeah, and stuff. Absolutely. The, the, the negatives fall away, just leaving the in very enriching positives behind. Yeah. Know. So what would I say? What would I want people to take away from this? You're going to feel bad. It will get better. Learn from it when it happens. Talk to your mates about motivation and make it how they can help you in a race and how they can, what they could say that would not help you. But most of all, if you feel you're enjoying the race and you go out there with that positive attitude, I think it always never feel quite so bad as it would otherwise be. Yeah. Be prepared. Think about things and issues that might happen. Think about strategies to deal with them. Yeah. And and run with a mate. Because running with a mate... It, <laughs> or, or running... Just making know, that, friends with people on the trail as well. well. You know, I always like running with fame because then at least I, I can realise that someone else is in more pain than me. <laughs> That's <laughs> like you met you met you met Pete etc. And, exactly and, and on the trail and every every run I've done every ultra every trail marathon there's other people around you who are suffering and or finding it hard and wanting to motivate and just talking to other people and stuff just make it's part of the experience I love that bit that yeah. kind of tribe kind of come on guys we can get through this you know it's, it's a really really nice thing learning and talking people, you know everyone's suffering in some way shape or form let's, let's not finish on that negative note let's <laughs> try and finish on a more positive note of as you said the, the pain will go yeah and and you'll be left with some amazing memories yeah and some experiences that you can take forward and use later on yeah it's about the journey you know I find that a very enriching experience runners on trail so I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Runners on Trail. We have Runners on Trail on Snapchat. And you can email us runnersontrail at gmail.com. So please let us know what you thought about the episode and leave comments about some other things you'd like us to um, talk about. And don't forget to subscribe. So until next time, I'm Thane. And I'm Anthony. And you've been listening to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Midpack Runners. For Midpack Runners. Runners on Trail.